0: What is up, guys? Hope y'all having an awesome Sunday out there. We are back here on the Blue Bloods with a Week 9 college football instant reaction show. We had to recap all the crazy Week 9 games and action and takeaways. We got it all right here. So if you're new, smash the subscribe button. Go ahead and like the video and comment your instant reactions below to some of the biggest action in college football that happened this weekend. But y'all know where we have to start. We had one of the game of the year candidates over in East Lansing this weekend between number eight Michigan State and number six Michigan in which the Spartans got a 37-33 win over the Wolverines. And they pulled off the big upset, putting them directly into the college football playoff race and really have emerged as a Big Ten title favorite now. And it wasn't easy, and the Spartans overcame a lot of adversity. They had they had to overcome a 16-point second half deficit and they to pull off this game and they outscore the Wolverines 21 to 3 over about the last 20 minutes of this game. And it really should have the Spartans challenging for a top five spot in that college football playoff poll, while Michigan. They're going to need some help. They're not. They're not eliminated from the Big Ten title race, but they're going to have to have some real help down the stretch to have a shot at the title. But looking at the Spartans, I told y'all on the preview it was going to be the rushing attack, and they need, and the Spartans needed every single bit of Kenneth Walker's production this weekend. It was such an impressive performance by Mel Tucker's squad, and it showed what type of culture he has really built here in East Lansing for Michigan state in just such a short time. And when you look at Kenneth Walker, man, he solidified his spot in New York in December for the hospital ceremony. This was a husband moment by definition. I mean, you look up hospital moment in the dictionary and it's what Kenneth Walker did on the field this Saturday afternoon, but it, especially when you look at how the the whole country was watching that game at 11 a.m. It was a top 16 with a solid defense that, you know, really specialized in slowing down the run. And Walker went off for almost 200 yards, over eight and a half yards per carry and five rushing touchdowns, which included a, a breakout 23-yard game winner with only about five minutes left in the game. He becomes the first ever player to ever rush for five touchdowns against Michigan. He came in as the NCAA leading rusher. He solidified himself as the best running back in college football this year. No disrespect to uh, Bajon Robinson, Tank, Bigsby, Brees Hall, any of those guys, but Kenneth Walker is on a whole nother level right now. The Wake Forest transfer might be the single most important you know, transfer for Mel Tucker's whole career. I mean, he's in the driver's seat now for coach of the year. And let's say this, Peyton Thorne did play his best football today. But the thing that you got to give him credit for is he found a way to make the throws when it really mattered. When you go look, when you go watch the highlights, his 28-yard pass to Jaden Reed on fourth and three in the third quarter, which was like a fade route, he hit it so perfectly. I mean, he threw it on a dime. And it just showed the trust that Mel Tucker had in Thorne to make that throw and he executed it at such a high level. I mean, he only had 196 passing yards, two picks, but he was a playmaker, and he didn't shy away from the moment down the stretch, and that's what you want in a starting quarterback. And really and truly, the pressure was the number one thing for Thorne. I mean, the Wolverines found themselves in the pocket time and time again. They seemed to rattle Thorne, but down the stretch, he didn't shy away, and he made the plays needed to win the game. Now on the other side, the Wolverines, man, they had every chance and more to win this game and put it away late, but the Wolverines shot themselves in the foot on multiple drives, and they also failed to execute in the red zone down the stretch, and that was the difference in this game. You know, you know the Wolverines had a chance to seal the game with almost seven minutes in the game. They had, a, they, had they could have put it together a solid drive, you know, at least chewed up a bunch of the clock, but I understand they rotate quarterbacks all the time but to put jj that you know, to put jj mccarthy in that situation over cade McNamara and crunch time in the fourth quarter was a really really bad coaching decision by jim Harbaugh. as Jay, as mccarthy fumbled the handoff to the running back michigan state recovered and it led to the game winning touchdown drive i understand while, you know, he's rotating these guys out, but why in the world are you taking out your experienced starter and putting a freshman in that situation, especially when you look at how well McNamara played up to that point in the game, you know, you're Jim Harbaugh, everyone's, you know, everyone's on top of you for your job, your coaching decisions thus far in your career. And this just chalks up to another what-are-you-doing decision by Jim Harbaugh. And for me, when it comes down to crunch time in the fourth quarter to win the game, you need to go with the guy you trust to be your real starter, not a freshman. You're just trying to rotate in to keep them happy. That cost Michigan the game really and truly. And, I mean, for me, it was just a bad decision. I was screaming at the TV when I saw it happen. But – Let's give it up for Michigan State's defense, though. The lack of a rushing attack also really hurt Michigan down the stretch. Neither running back could find any consistency with this front seven of Michigan State. Corum only had 45 yards, only averaged about three and a half yards per carry, while Haskins only had 59 yards on 14 carries. And the lack of a rushing attack really hurt the Wolverines in the red zone. Michigan State scored touchdowns on all of their red zone attempts, while Michigan struggled to get the ball in the end zone. They had six red zone possessions, and only two touchdowns came from that. And looking back, that was also something that really cost Michigan the game. But one positive for y'all Michigan fans, I don't want to just drill Michigan. One positive is I think Michigan might have established that they had the deadliest duo off the edge of college football right now, and they had one hell of a game in East Lansing this weekend. Aiden Hutchinson, uh, David Ojabo are demons off the edge for the Wolverines. Combined for three sacks, seven tackles, Ojabo had two potential force fumbles. One ended up being overturned, and Hutchinson caused three holding calls on the Spartans. They absolutely were wreaking havoc, and for Michigan, it's just a game of what-ifs. Like, One or two plays could have been the difference, but a lack of a running attack, no reg-to-consistency, and a questionable call and, tur- and turnovers really hurt the Wolverines here. But look, looking at it, looking ahead, man, Mich- the Spartans continue try to continue their momentum against Purdue on the road next weekend. While Michigan is going to look to rebound next weekend in the big house against Indiana. But this was a huge Big Ten game. Both of these teams have the entire se- their entire seasons in front of them. But this game lived up to every bit of the hype and more. But moving on here we're going down to Auburn, Alabama where number 18 Auburn got a huge SEC win over number 10 Ole Miss in Jordan-Hare Stadium 31 to 20 and this and this game had all the implications in the world with Bama having that one loss the winner of this game really took that step to control possibly their own destiny especially Auburn because now they have AM coming up this weekend. They win that game. If they can go into the Iron Bowl with one loss, that becomes the SEC West determining game. So this was a huge, this, this was a huge game for Brian Harsin and the Auburn Tigers. And this win was because the Tigers offense could not be stopped in the first half, man. You know, The Tigers never trailed in this game. They scored on their first drive, took a 28-17 lead into halftime, but both teams were extremely sloppy in the second half, in which both teams only mustered a field goal, as they just really traded mistakes back and forth. But Matt Corral had had an ankle injury in the first quarter. He returned after about a drive and a half, but he really failed to find any rhythm, as his Auburn defense just seemed to make key plays in the red zone when it counted most. But... When you look at the strategy, man, it was a heavy dose of Tank Bigsby and Bo Nix for the Tigers. Both had outstanding performances, and I said on the preview for Auburn to win this game, Bo Nix and Bigsby were going to have to put it all together. Together, they all season it's been either Bo Nix was great or Tank Bigsby was great, and they never really could match up. And they really synced up this weekend, and it 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 was. The perfect recipe for Auburn football and the defense held Ole Miss scoreless on four red zone attempts including a giant interception from Jalen Simpson in the end zone and the Tigers offense scored on four of their four of their five first half drives and it, it was it was an absolute perfect performance by Mike Bobo's offense I mean Bigsby 140 on the ground, over six yards per carry, and a rushing touchdown. Knicks was 22 for 30, 276, averaged almost 10 yards a pass, had a passing touchdown, and two rushing touchdowns. And when you look at how Auburn did it, it really seemed to throw Ole Miss off, but they used a heavy dose of 12 and 13-man personnel. In case you don't know what that is, the first number stands for running back second for tight ends, so 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, 13, one running back, three tight ends. And they used that to throw the Rebels off all night long. And it gave them not only a real advantage in blocking in terms of the running game, the tight ends really performed well through the air with four catches for over 50 yards receiving. And Luke Deal had a very big explosive play, which got like 30 yards on one play. So the tight ends showed some real promise. But The O-line was the biggest improvement for the Tigers. Only two sacks allowed. The Rebels only mustered four tackles for loss, and they were the key for Auburn running for over 200 yards on Saturday night while Jacoby McLean on the defensive side had himself a game. 14 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss was all over the field. And Auburn's running defense really benefited from finally getting Owen Papo back. He's been out since the Penn, the, the Penn State game, and the front seven did a great job. This Ole Miss rushing attack is so explosive. They held this Ole Miss attack to, to no explosive runs over 15 yards, and both starting running backs only had – neither of them had over 60 yards total rushing. So it was a great performance over, you know, all around by Auburn, and – Jordan hair was rocking. They did the throwback orange face mask. It was something to watch on in prime time on Saturday night, but the rebels came into this game as the top 10 team. They showed some real promise drove right down the field on their first drive, got a field goal, but red zone miscues penalty and a lack of defensive ex- execution really cost Lane Kiffin squad. Matt Corral was banged up early, but you got to give him some props for coming in, toughing it out. But Corral was held scoreless through the air for the first time this season, and his 19-game passing touchdown streak came to an end this weekend. He still threw for almost 300 yards, had 45-yard rushing, of rushing touchdown, and had that crucial um, red zone interception, but the Ole Miss O-line really didn't help Corral at all. He, he was under pressure most of the night. Auburn had three huge sacks, and they were in the backfield consistently against Ole Miss, but I want to give props to uh, Ja'Core Pearson, who was a walk-on and five-receiver stepping up at the Rebels wide-receiving spot due to some injuries. That wide-receiving core was real thin. He had a huge game, seven catches, 135, almost 20 yards per catch. He was the biggest target, and he made a lot of plays down the stretch to keep Ole Miss in this game. But you're looking at this Brian Harson team. Two losses with Penn State on the road. And then, of course, they lost to number one Georgia just a few weeks back. But this is back-to-back top 20 wins for this Auburn team in the SEC. And you're looking at Brian Harson's, you know, staff like, man, there's really something going on here on the Plains that I don't – even myself didn't see it coming. I don't think the the most diehard Auburn fans saw it coming. This team's getting consistently better every week. Bo Nix has seemed to responded to being benched. And on this night, on this Saturday night, he outplayed Matt Corral, which is a huge statement for Bo Nix's legacy at Auburn and this season's turnaround. But the running game emerging was huge, and the wide receivers finally stopped dropping passes. And you can tell what the potential of this Auburn team was. But the Tigers look to continue their two-game win streak over SEC opponents when they travel to College Station next weekend. While the Rebels look to spoil, Hugh frees return to Oxford when Liberty comes into town next weekend in a huge matchup there. That's going to be a packed house in Oxford. I can't wait to see that one. But moving on to the Big Ten, then. Number five, Ohio State versus number 20, Penn State in Columbus. Ohio State escaped with a big win, 33-24. And this game experienced more ups and downs than just about any other game this weekend. And the in the Nittany Lions, you got to give them credit, showed a lot of life early. But in the but the Buckeyes showed they can respond to adversity and found a way to make the plays to win the game, guys. But the game opened up two fumbles on the first drive by each team. Penn State held a 7-3 lead almost the entire first half, then Ohio State scores two touchdowns in the matter of less than 2 minutes thanks to a huge fumble return, and then the Nittany Lions go down to get a field goal right before the half. And this was a cru- this was a really a three-point game up until Penn State made the crucial interception late in the game. Ohio State turned it into points, and then the missed field goal at the end of the game really sealed it for the Buckeyes who escaped with a big win. I do want to say this. If you're a Penn State fan, you had to be, I guess, optimistic at this game because they fought. the Penn State really showed some energy and fight, which was really lacking in their game against Illinois last week. And if you're a Buckeyes fan, yes, it might not have been pretty. I talked to some of the Buckeyes guys I know, and they said there was a lot of pessimistic fans right now. But the number one thing for me – Ohio State showed that they can win games where they didn't play their best in, and they they played a really good game against a really good team and found a way to win, so you still got to give them credit for that, but the Buckeyes offense had a huge night over 460 of total offense, but a slow start really hurt them early, but Stroud and Henderson seemed to find their rhythm as the game wore on, and they were the biggest factors on Saturday night. Now, the rushing attack with Travion Henderson, man, he made a statement, I believe, on Saturday night. Yes, he had a slow start, but he is going to be special. He had 28 carries for over 152 on the ground and a rushing touchdown. And the biggest thing, though, is on his first 14 carries, guys, he only had 20 total rushing yards, but he had 132 on his final 14 carries. And for a freshman, to consistently believe in himself as he's getting shut down, not get down on himself, and make plays when it matters most in the second half, half—that's that shows a true player right there. So I think the Buckeyes have someone real special in Travion Henderson at that running back spot. But the passing game also started a bit slow, but as Stroud found his footing, he spread the ball to seven different guys on Saturday night, and he made plays down the stretch with over 300 passing yards, a touchdown, and, yes, usually is the big star, and he had a big touchdown on Saturday night. But let's give it up for Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith, man. They had huge games at the wide receiving spot. Wilson, 82 yards on seven catches. Smith had six for 97. And these wide receivers just go out and make plays. I still think Ohio State has one of the best wide receiving cores in the nation, and they've really showed it on Saturday night as things started to pick up in a very, very big primetime moment. But like I said, Penn State deserves their props. After two weeks of really playing some uninspired football, they did not shy away from the moment, and they had multiple chances to win this game down the stretch. If it wasn't for a few costly turnovers and the run game, they probably would have came away with a huge top five win over Ohio State. But I want to start with the positive for them a passing game put on the show especially when you look at the pressure Ohio State generated all game long in the lack of a run game Sean Clifford throwing for 361 had a touchdown had that costly interception he made play after play after play for the Nittany Lions and then Jahan Dotson is a problem at the wide receiver spot another Big 10 catch game he had actually 11 catches for 127 over 12 yards per catch these two guys have a real connection, and I think Jahan Dotson is going to play at the next level. He's one of my favorite wide receivers in the country. But give props to Sean Clifford for sticking with it. He was getting hit all night long, running for his life, but he continued to make plays and almost put up 400 yards passing on a solid Ohio State defense. But the key, you know, the key thing missing for Penn State has to be a rushing attack. It has killed the Nittany Lions in like like three straight games. It could have changed the Iowa game. It definitely hurt them against Illinois where they ran for over 300. But they only had 33 rushing yards on 29 carries this weekend, which is only 1.1 yards per carry. And no running back had over 20 yards rushing. That cannot happen against a top five team. If they had any sort of balance, Penn State probably would have had a great chance to win this game. But I don't know what's going on with James Franklin's offensive line and these running backs. But Love it from Baylor hasn't been a big contributor. Noah Kane has not been able to establish his rhythm. They have to do something on the rushing attack for Penn State if they want to compete at a high level. That has been the number one thing holding them back, and they have not been able to run the ball against Wisconsin, Auburn, Illinois, Iowa, or Ohio State this weekend. And it's got to change for the Nittany Lions moving forward. But the last thing is Ohio State's front seven men wreak havoc this weekend on the Nittany Lions. As they shut down the rushing attack, they got to Clifford, and they made multiple plays that really won the game four sacks, eight tackles for loss, countless QB hurries. They forced two huge fumbles, and one of which was taken 57 yards to the house of the big man touchdown And Jaron Cage. And one of my favorite plays of the year, man, he was booking it. He wanted that touchdown, and he got it. And that play was so crucial in flipping the script for Ohio State in their favor. But looking ahead, man, the Buckeyes continue their college football playoff push against Nebraska next weekend in Lincoln, and the Nittany Lions look to end their losing streak on the road against Maryland in an important Big Ten game next weekend. But the final game will break down completely. Number one, Georgia continues their dominance over Florida in Jacksonville, 34-7, to and it was a huge rivalry game. The Bulldogs continued their, their this ridiculous season but this game was much closer than the scoreboard predicts. I'm going to be honest with y'all. The Bulldogs scored 21 of their 34 points in less than two and a half minutes in the, late in the second quarter. And the, and the Gators never recovered from that momentum shift. But the Bulldogs, man, I'm going to give y'all a stat. It doesn't even seem real to me. They have now outscored their eight opponents by a score of 303 to 53. And this defense has continued to be elite week in and week out while the offense finds a way to get it done, even though it always isn't pretty like it wasn't this weekend. But The Gators still find themselves with the quarterback, question mark. Anthony Richardson really struggled in this start for the Gators, and turnovers really cost him the game. While Amory Jones played solid down the stretch, so it leaves a lot of questions for Dan Mullen and who is the quarterback moving moving forward. But the Georgia offense, let's just say, didn't have its best game of the season. But with a defense like they have, which I think is like college football, like legacy-type defense, where it's one of the best we've ever seen, did enough to pick up the slack. They capitalized on the Gators' mistakes, and it shows how dangerous this team is. Guys, they went 34-7, to and they probably had their worst performance of the season. I mean, maybe you could say the Clemson game on the offensive side of the ball, but, I mean, they had one of their worst performances of the season and still won 34-7 over a team that's been ranked pretty much all season. I mean, the rushing attack was the backbone of this offense, man. The passing game was a bit flat today. But this stable of running backs for the Bulldogs, man, still grinded out almost 200 yards rushing. And today – it was less of a by-committee approach. Zamir White, 105 on the ground, seven and a half yards per carry, and a touchdown. He was the main guy while James Cook still had 46 yards and a touchdown. But it wasn't that rotate that big rotation that we've seen. They knew Zamir White was the guy and they kind of rode him as Stetson, Stetson Bennett didn't have his best game, but he still delivered a big touchdown in the second quarter off of a turnover. 10 for 19, 161, a touchdown, two picks. He looked a bit sloppy today, but right now, man, I still think that as long as he keeps winning like this, you have a good argument for Stetson Bennett possibly starting over JT Daniels as he still isn't back from injury. But it's going to be interesting. to see what Kirby Smart decides to do down the stretch. This was really one of their bigger tests left on their schedule. And you're looking, they have a chance that I, I believe they clinched the East this weekend already, guys. So as long as they just keep, going forward, they should be that number one seed in the college football playoff. And really, and truly, I think right now their path to Atlanta is sealed, but for the Gators, man, they went with Anthony Richardson, as a lot of people were calling, including myself, but he did not look, he did ever seem to get comfortable in the pocket. Emory Jones was able to spark some solid job. So some, uh, you know, did a solid job late, but the Gators just made too many costly mistakes. You look at the list of mistakes, two missed field goals, a fumble, which, I mean, they put the Bulldogs inside the 15, led to a touchdown, had two interceptions, both led to points. One was a pick six by N'Kobe Dean, who is still proven that I, I personally believe he's the best linebacker in college football right now. But all those mistakes you cannot make against a Georgia team where, I mean, we're talking about, you know, I had an Ohio State guy text me who was watching this game, and he said, man, Seth, like, you know, 14 points seems insurmountable for Georgia. If they get up 14 nothing, you're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to come back. And, like, that's the type of level of defense you're playing. So you're missing points with missed field goals. You're giving them points with three turnovers, which they all turned into touchdowns. You cannot make those type of mistakes against Georgia, and it's clear. But the QB battle has to be solved. You know, rotating QBs isn't working for the Gators because neither guy is being able to establish a rhythm and neither guy is, you know – able to do anything and so I would say that Mullen needs to make a decision put some consistency in this offense I would say Rob Richardson you know and just let him get into comfortable because I think his ceiling is a bit higher than Emory Jones but I want to see them do something Emory Jones 112 passing yards had a rushing touchdown was 10 for 14 through the air outplayed Richardson this weekend who was 12 for 20 82 yards and two picks and had 20 26 rushing yards Jones outplayed Richardson but Also, to throw Richardson in after not really playing as much all season against this Georgia defense was a bit unfair, in my opinion. And plus, Emory Jones got to play, you know, kind of that. I mean, after halftime, it was pretty much over and just kind of got to play some mop up time, I would say. But the positive for the Gators, if you're a Gator fan tuned in, listen, the rushing game's legit down there in Gainesville. It it needed some help from the passing game, but the Gators were ineffective in the red zone, and it made many overlook this unit. The Gators have some real talent at the running back spot. Damian Pierce had one hell of a game against Georgia, 70 yards rushing, over 7.5 yards per carry, and the Gators grinded out 161 yards with over 4 yards per carry, which is a solid day against Georgia. But right now, man, listen, Georgia's not flashy. They're not going to, you know, put up Oklahoma offensive numbers. They're not going to, you know, get big shootouts. Their formula is easy. Their defense is going to beat you over the head repeatedly all day long. You're going to score, you know, zero to maybe like, you know, 13 points if you're lucky. And the offense is just going to run the ball down your throat. And Stetson Bennett, the mailman, is going to mail in just a few throws to put you in the grave, man. And it is just a basic formula for Georgia right now, and no one's going to be able to stop it right now, in my opinion. But they look to continue their impressive run against Missouri and Athens next weekend. And the Gators got to travel up to Columbia to face the South Carolina Gamecocks in a must-win game for Dan Mullen. I'm just going to put that out there. We'll talk about that later. But just a few Other takeaways from, you know, week nine action, we'll recap them here briefly, but number two, Cincinnati beating Tulane 31 to 12. It was a very unimpressive win for Cincinnati as they struggled most of the game and pulled away late. The only thing helping Cincinnati is that Tulane almost, you know, really got into Oklahoma week one. So it's kind of saving them a little bit of perception, but if Cincinnati and Luke Fickle want to be in the playoffs, for sure, they have to win better you know, or buy more and look more impressive than they look this weekend against Tulane. Number nine, Iowa upset by Wisconsin, 27, seven. The offense has disappeared in, uh, in Iowa city for the Hawkeyes men. They went up to Madison, Wisconsin ran the ball down their throats. You know, they finally had a game where Graham Mertz didn't turn the ball over a thousand times. And that shows, I really think Wisconsin's a good team if they just don't turn the ball over. They got a solid defense, a solid run game, and Graham Mertz has some potential. They just can't turn the ball over, and I think they showed what their real potential was when they played a Wisconsin brand of football, but Iowa has some real trouble, and Kirk Ferris has to decide what he's going to do about that offense because it has just turned into an atrocious mess over there in um, Iowa. Number 11, Notre Dame, escapes a tough matchup against North Carolina, 44-34. I thought this was a very impressive win for Notre Dame, missing, you know – all-American safety Kyle Hamilton, probably a top-10 draft pick against a deadly passing attack with Sam Howell. And the Notre Dame offense has slowly but surely started improving, and this was a huge win for Brian Kelly's team. I thought Notre Dame looked very, very impressive this week, and I thought this was a big win for the fighting average as they continue their march for one of those outside college football playoff chances and also a New Year's Six ball. So big win there for Notre Dame. Number 12, Kentucky. Upset my Mississippi State 31-17. You know, I, I right now, man, I don't really know what to make of Kentucky. They, they played so well all season long, but Mississippi State gave them some real trouble with that pass game with Will Rogers, and Mike Leach is quietly putting together a solid squad. Mississippi State sitting there with wins over – Uh, Number 12, Kentucky, and they also got a win over a top 15 Texas A&M team. So Mississippi State's no pushover, man, and they're playing really good football down there under Mike Leach, under the radar. They still have some huge games. They get a ranked Auburn team. They get a ranked Ole Miss team. So they got some chances to make some noise down the stretch, and you can see Mississippi State sneak up in to that top half of the SEC West. So big win there for Mississippi State over Kentucky. Baylor pulls it out over Texas. We previewed that game here, and, it, and Baylor just made enough plays down the stretch, man. They, they play good defensive football down the stretch in that run game, just found a way to make enough plays. Dave Aranda's team is playing high-level football right now, and for me, I think they're the biggest threat to Oklahoma because of how good their defense plays and how well they run the ball. I think Baylor-Oklahoma could be the Big 12 matchup of the year right now. Also, number 17 Pitt Heisman contender Kenny Pickett had a tough day against Miami. Miami pulls out a second ranked upset under Manny Diaz. And he said, Y'all thought y'all put me on the hot seat. Watch watch me go. And I think Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback has been a revelation for this Hurricanes team. Dear King's injury was unfortunate, man. I'm wishing him the best recovery, but it could have been the best thing to happen. For the Hurricanes, as Tyler Van Dyke has been balling for two weeks, outplayed Hosby Kennedy, Kenny Pickett down the stretch because he didn't have the turnovers. Kenny Pickett still put up big numbers, but he needed some help from his defense. And Miami gets a huge upset over Pitt this weekend in, in Hines Field, too, on the road. So let's give Van Dyke and Manny Diaz the squad some real credit. Houston upsets undefeated number 19 SMU it was a shootout and Houston was just able to jump ahead early and SMU could never really recover and Houston's defense just made one more stop than SMU's did to really win this game but now that AAC race is looking interesting because Houston and SMU Cincinnati all these teams have an argument to be in that top 25 so for me the AAC is very it has some teams at the top that really can make a noise and so for me, Cincinnati needs SMU and Houston to continue to make an impact because they need those wins on their resume for the college football playoff. Um, San Diego state also suffers their first loss to Fresno state. And then Jake Hayner had a day in San Diego state's offense, just couldn't put it together. And Fresno state just played one of their better games. They rebound after a series of tough losses. So let's give Fresno state some credit there. Also, Number 22, Iowa State upset by West Virginia, man. They're coming off of a top 10 upset over Oklahoma State, and it just seems they were sleepwalking early. And West Virginia, man, with with Jared Doji at quarterback, Neil Brown's squad pulls off a huge win. And so for me, West Virginia's been on the cusp. They were three points away from beating Oklahoma. They were in some close games, and they finally found a way to win a close game over a ranked team. Big win for Neil Brown. And then also – one of the games y'all should have seen, number 25 BYU beats Virginia 66 to 49. This game was like 42 38 at halftime. So just endless points on the board. Tyler Algier is a problem at BYU at running back. I thought this game was great. Listen, go find the highlights. It was They lit up the scoreboard late on Saturday night. I got to catch the end of this game, but Tyler Algiers, the takeaway, that boy is a problem at running back, one of the best and most underrated running backs in the country. But, guys, final thoughts here. Georgia, still the number one team in the country by far. I thought Cincinnati took a step back to the pack. I think there's a real argument for Michigan State, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon. All those teams are right there. So it's going to be interesting to see how the college football playoff committee ranks them on Tuesday. I thought the Heisman race, wide open again. Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett suffers a tough game. Matt Corral didn't look impressive in Jordan Hare. Kenneth Walker had his husband moment. I think the husband race is as wide open as it has been in years, man. So that's going to be something to watch. Also, some big hot seat coaches get big wins, especially Manny Diaz over there in Miami. That was a huge win. And some of these conference races are taking shape. It looks like it's going to be Michigan State, Ohio State, in the Big Ten. Auburn, Alabama are on the path to a collision course. And another two-loss Auburn team finds themselves in the college football playoff race, especially if they win this weekend over AM, who's a borderline top-ten team. It's going to be crazy in the SEC West this year as Georgia's already locked up the East. But, guys, here on the Blue Bloods, tomorrow at 4 at, um, p.m. Central Time, we have our college football playoff um, rankings. We're going to do it just like ESPN where we drop like our top six, the first two out, first four probably spend a few minutes talking about it i'm thinking about making it a live stream i'm gonna make a poll on our community page so vote if you want it to be a live stream show also tuesday night 6 30 p.m central time we have our week 10 college football mailbag go to our community page submit your questions now for any and all things college football and join us on tuesday night to talk all the biggest storylines preview games everything for week 10. And then Tuesday through Friday, you already know is college football previews right here on the Blue Bloods. They aren't getting any more in-depth preview, better analysis anywhere on YouTube. So make sure to tune in, smash the subscribe button. Also make sure to like the video and comment your takeaways below right now. But guys, for myself and the Blue Bloods, we are out.